0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org.
1: Our scripture reading today is from Luke 16, 19-31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God.
0: Well, uh, and thank you, Casey. I sprung that under. She, uh, those black books are really good for us to um, know, um, who, not only that you're here, but it actually is helping us as a, um, as a church to continue to, to really connect together. Um, so, so if you get that book, and if you've, even if you've signed it before, sign it again, because it really helps us as we're a growing church to continue to deepen in community and also help you get plugged in. Help you know what's going on, how to how to worship, connect, and serve in our in our church, and um, and really to ask the questions you need to ask. How to do that? So, well, in uh, in a week or so, um, I am able to go down to the beach with my family. It's our trip we take every year, uh, and I'm going to go along that 65 corridor down, you know, towards Birmingham and past and. I don't know if you make that trip often, <clears throat> but uh, if you do, you will notice along the side there are uh, several signs. At least uh, they interchange sometimes. They've been there. Some have been there for years. Uh, that talk about heaven or hell, and uh, one of my, one of my faves is uh, it's, uh, you, I, it's almost like a marker for me now because <laughs> they've had them up so long. One is a billboard that has on one side like beautiful you know blue sky with some clouds. It says heaven. And it has like a list of verses. On the other side is just horrible fire and like just darkness. And this is hell and a list of verses. It says, what do you choose? You know, it's like, oh, okay. Um, A couple of them are like that. A couple of them are are just like, where are you going to spend eternity? You know, just like blank, just boom. Uh, One of my favorites, and I actually think they took it down. I'm super sad about it is uh, one, one, we just be on the left side when you're going south, uh, south on 65, obviously, right side going north. It was this big wooden cutout, like somebody literally like chiseled, sawed wood, made this massive thing with like a, a Satan, or at least the figure of Satan, with like this scythe, you know, and, he, and it says, go to church or the devil will get you, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I think they took it down though, it was like the best, it was awesome, I like that one. Um. But, you know, it's interesting if you think about those billboards, what are they doing? Those billboards are uh, actually scare tactics. I, I, was, I even saw an article recently from Relevant Magazine that talked about that. There was a, this guy said, yesterday I drove by a church with a billboard that said, discover the bread of life or you'll be toast. <laughs> it's like, okay. Well, there are, there are a couple things wrong with those kind of things, right? The first is you, you. read those and you go, well, people who they're maybe targeting, are that may or may not know Jesus or want to, you know, talk about the gospel, the good news, if, it, if you could say that, aren't going to speak with that language. You read a billboard like that and you're like, okay, what am I choosing? Like, what's heaven? What's hell? You know, like, why? Why are you asking me this question? <laughs> But the second thing is it's, it's really a scare tactic. And usually when we talk about things like hell, we think of it in that category. We put it in a category of like, it's a billboard. It's supposed to scare you from one side, move from the hell side with the flames to the clouds and nice sky. But, but is that what it is? We're looking at a passage this morning that talks about that because it, it, a lot of times those billboards and the ways that we talk about hell itself in a, in Christianish circles, is is made almost like a joke. Is it a is it a billboard, or is it something different, and maybe even something worse than what we see driving down sixty five? See, here's the reason: the Bible talks immensely about hell, immensely about an afterlife, and it talks about both heaven and hell. In fact, Jesus spoke more about hell than anything. He spoke more about hell than heaven. Now, this is the parable that we get, and it's actually a fascinating one because it's the only time we actually get to see into the afterlife, but it's a parable. It's not meant for us to unpack and have a whole system of, okay, this is, must be what hell is like and this must be what heaven is like. There's actually a point. A parable is, usually has one main point it's driving home, and it's not necessarily in this passage for us to see that, but Jesus tells this parable for us to understand what is the point. And I want you to know as <clears throat> I have a deep interest in this passage and in talking about the doctrine of hell. It actually is a doctrine. There's a doctrine of heaven and hell. And not just because I'm a Christian minister but because I have a vested interest in this personally. I have family members that say they are not Christians. I have friends that do as well are vehemently against Christianity. So this doctrine is not just something I'm standing up in here and talking to you about coldly, and nor do I think Jesus is delivering this parable in the same way. This is something that is meant for us to really take in personally and deeply to understand the way that God actually loves us. And especially if you're here this morning and maybe you're kind of, maybe you'd say you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time. It, it, aren't those billboards, I mean, why there's so many stats of why we don't want to share the gospel? Because we're afraid to even talk about this kind of thing. But the Bible isn't. The Bible is not afraid to talk about the reality of heaven, hell, judgment, wrath. Because we're supposed to know. How do we know how much we are loved if we don't know how much God hates us? what has happened to us, and what's going on around us. That's the premise of the whole thing. So I want us to look at this this morning. I really want to plead to you, especially if you're here, maybe you consider yourself a Christian, maybe you're here and you're, you're not. Maybe you're exploring, maybe you're coming back into the church, maybe it's been a while, or maybe you're kinda still wrestling on the fence. Maybe you come to church, it's kinda like, oh, the thing to do. Let's look at this, let's ask the question, can God, this is the question, isn't it, when we look at this, Can God be loving and can there be a hell? Can He be judging and wrathful and can He be loving? Is this a reality? Can it work together? Let's talk about that in two ways that this parable really unpacks. It unpacks that hell reveals a lot about us and hell actually redirects us. So it reveals and redirects. You know, when the parable begins here, it begins to reveal And a parable, like I said, is is not an allegory. Usually when we we may read parables, you kind of go, okay, this means this, this means this. It's not an allegory like Pilgrim's Progress or some other fable. Uh, A parable was a story driving home a main point for us to understand. And, And it's not, again, it's not... To unpack or give us speculation about how much what heaven and hell is it 's to reveal something to us this parable about what we get to see is it reveals that Jesus is getting at something really important and he actually spends time talking for the only place in scripture at all that we get to see the afterlife, so to speak, that to drive home what hell really reveals you know i, I 'm a huge Seinfeld fan i don 't know if you watched that show or did um, but <clears throat> Jerry Seinfeld, he's talked about these kind of things before. Jerry Seinfeld, my favorite comedian. He, on his show, actually, there was a whole episode about hell. Uh, Elaine, one of the main characters, is dating some guy, finds that he has a, a Christian fish on the back of his car, and she tears it off and is like, what is this thing? She confronts him about it and says, hey, wh- what's up with this stuff? And, um, and, and they get in kind of an argument because... Uh, he kind of looks at her and goes, well, you're going to hell. And she's like, what? You should care that I'm going to hell. And he's like, no. He's like, She's like, well, it's this place with ragged clothing and the heat. Oh, God, the heat. And that's the idea, right? Like, it's this heat. You should care that I'm going to hell. And he's like, well, I don't care. This is why you're going to hell. You're so bossy, you know. So on one side, you have this idea of this is why you go to hell because of these things you do bad or you don't do right or you're bossy or whatever it is. And on the other side, hell is this. It's this place. It's just heat. It's ragged clothing. Ugh. And at one point, Jerry Seinfeld asks, this is the, it, one of the most interesting parts, says, well, why do you care so much whether Putty believes in this, your, your boyfriend believes in this or not, Elaine? And she says, well, relationships are really important to me. And Jerry says, well, maybe you can strike one up with a prince of darkness when you burn for all eternity. But is that what we think about heaven and hell? Uh, Look, I kind of geeked out a little bit on this. So I I began, as I studied this passage and began studying this, I began looking into a lot that this this idea of a concept of eternal punishment and reward is not something distinctly Christian. It's not just distinctly religious. It's actually all over the place. This idea that we have a place because we've either done good things or we've captured a good life and we get a good reward. And you know, you've even seen this, that that on one shoulder there's this idea sometimes, you see it in commercials, you see it on, you have on one side, okay, there's this angel on one side saying, do this, do that, and if my good outweighs my bad, there's a devil on this shoulder. Do I know where I fit in all that? That's the idea, right? That's where all this comes from. But that's not what this is getting at. See, that, that idea has been presented even and has come into the Christian idea of heaven and hell. And that's not what he's saying. In fact, it, in one article that I, I read, I've, I've loved, it's called Engaging the World Between Apathy and Insult. So an article that talks about, from By Faith Magazine, it talks about the idea that we, because one of the reasons we don't talk about Christianity, we don't want to share our faith, is because we're afraid that we're going to insult people because we see all the billboards. We see the way that people say, you're going to hell for this. And so we become apathetic on the other end. So we live, but what, what, is, what is the world between the apathy that we don't care? And we, don't, we don't care enough to share our faith because we don't want to insult somebody. How do we address that? This passage says this, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who, was fe- who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered in sores. It begins immediately with this division. And if you want to know what hell, hell reveals, it reveals a separation. This parable is all about separation. It's about division. Verse 21, who, this this. Lazarus, now it could be uh, the name Lazarus could be tied to Lazarus as uh, Jesus's friend or not. It was a very common name. Who desired to be fed with what what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. So uh, right off the bat you see this division. Wealth. Wealth was seen as God's favor towards you. That's what they thought. So the setup here is, hey, here's a rich man. He is so wealthy. He's wearing purple linens. That means even his undergarments are that of royalty. It means God, he must have real favor. And this, don't, don't we equate that sometimes? When someone is really doing well, we can equate wealth with favor. We can equate success with blessing. But that, it's putting it in that category of he must be blessed. He must be favored by God. And second, not only that is in and, and Lazarus at the gate he's covered in sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. what fell? It was usually bread crumbs, and you know what bread was used for? We usually like eat bread or try to avoid it so we can eat the rest of our meal. What bread was used for on the table was to wipe your hands. so the bread that fell the, what was simple, what fell from the table was bread that they would wipe the oil and stuff off their hands like a napkin and then dropped on the ground. And that's what Lazarus would eat. He was so wealthy that he would use bread. He'd throw it on the t- ground. That was a separation. And not only that, burial itself showed how you were favored by God. Are you favored? Notice that the uh, rich man also died, right? And was buried. And it, it, how you were buried mattered. It showed and even if you weren't buried in a grave, which it talks about Lazarus not being buried, look, more of even the dogs came to lick his sores, the poor man died and was carried to an angel, he probably didn't have a grave. And he would have been shown as cursed. And not even that, even ritually impure, because the dogs would be licking his sores. In every way, there's this division, you see it? Of what we think means favor, blessing, and then what happens? A total switch. Immediately, He's carried to Abraham's side. And the rich man finds himself in hell. There's a spatial difference here. And and you want to think first, okay, it has to be religion. Maybe someone. No, no, no. Notice they both call on Abraham. They're both religious. They're both Jews. You want to say, okay, maybe something else happened. Maybe it's his wealth. It's not necessarily its wealth, it's what he begins to put his heart into. Notice how much this wealthy man is surrounded. It begins with isolation. The hell is spatial. It means there's separation from God and everyone else. And we get to feel it now. We actually experience some of that right now in our life. Look, there are recent studies that show, not only here in our country, but in in other major, not third world, first world countries, where people are being found in their apartments isolated and have died because people haven't checked on them. You know, there's a recent study even in our own Western society that says in the last five years, people have, do not know how to make friends. Have not even, we don't even know how to make a new friend. That ma- means we don't even understand what it's like to be in relationship. We encounter isolation and spatial distance. Think about what's happening here. When he goes to Hades and is in torment, he looks, he looks up, he, looks, he lifts his eyes, and he sees. He's actually able to see. Now, is this what heaven or hell is going to be like? We don't know. I don't know. This is a parable. The point is that he can see Lazarus in heaven and that Lazarus is okay, but there's a distance. And when he says, hey, can, can, there, can, I, can I have a little cool water to cool me off here? I mean, can you make hell better for me, please? That's essentially what the rich man's asking. This hell thing in working, can you, can you ask, get Lazarus to bring me some water? What he's saying there, and the, his response back, the angel, said, Abraham says, no, there's a gulf and it is fixed. You cannot cross. No one can. There is an eternal gulf. There is a separation from both God and everyone else. Isolation. It is the fact. And here's what's interesting. You can see it because what happens with the poor man, angels grab him and carry him to a great banquet that he's surrounded by people. It's not just that he gets to eat and he gets all these good things. It's not just the bad things. You got all the good things and the bad things. It's that he's surrounded with the reality of relationship. He has it all. Isn't this why when we've talked about it, I've mentioned it in here And you may have heard it elsewhere that what is hell on earth? Hell on earth is when you experience your pain alone. And when we do that, we're actually tasting the reality of hell that already exists. Hell itself is isolation, it is loneliness. It is distance. And where does that come from? It comes from the fact that we build our identity on something else. That's exactly what this is about. The parable, what what hell is, hell is a separation, yes. It's a separation between us and God. You know it because when you experience shame about something, when you experience the depth of your own sin, even when you talk about confession, what do you want to do? You want to deal with it on your own. And we are scared that anyone would know the worst part. No, I'm not just talking about some parts. I'm talking about the deepest, worst parts of it. That you think, why would God ever let me in to be in his kingdom for this? Those parts. And what do we want to do? We want to hide them from ourselves by whatever it could be, a numbing agent. It could be alcohol. It could be pornography, it could be something else, that, some addiction, That it could be shopping, it could be something else. I mean, we could we cover ourselves with anything so we don't have to encounter the shame of our isolation because we actually see our sin. We hide it from God by trying to outweigh our good things, by thinking about how righteous we can be. We hide it from everyone else. And we can do that very easily. And what are the easiest places to do it? in places, and this is why it's a wealthy man and a poor man, in places where we have less need. This parable isn't about wealthy people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. That's far too easy. The point is, because Jesus says this in the same gospel, a couple chapters right after this, he talks to a rich man who comes to him and says, hey, how do I enter into eternal life? And what does he say to him? says, well, have you done all the commandments? He kind of sets him up a little bit. And then after he talks to this man about selling his possessions and following Jesus, it's not about the possessions. He says, see how easy it is for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven? It's as easy as a camel going through the eye of a needle. Why? Because wealth is bad? No, because it prevents us from seeing our need, because it causes us, and just like anything else, to build our life on something besides God. Our identity. See, that's what hell is. Hell is actually not just a separation. It's a fruition. It's a full becoming, completely becoming what we build our life on. That's what this is. Pascal, who was a great, <clears throat> who was a great theologian, said this. Between heaven and hell is only this life, which is the most fragile thing in the world. And most theologians like, that I've studied and I've read for even for this morning, because this is funny, I've actually never preached on hell before. I've never actually preached on it. Yeah, sure, I've talked about it. I've never preached on it. And you know, what? as I studied sermons, as I studied other people, the thing I came across with great preachers and pastors, whether it be people like Tim Keller, C.S. Lewis, other people that talk about this, they say hell isn't something that's just there. It's this life. It's that we're on a path already. We see the manifestation of it now. It reveals in us. Hell is already here. Notice this man's life. What is he doing with his life? He's building a world of heaven there. He's making his heaven there. Look, the way he builds his life, who's was clothed in purple. It doesn't say he was a bad guy. He may have been a perfectly great guy. There's nothing in this that talks about his badness or his goodness. It's what he's the bad and good was what he created his life to be. His heaven was there. It was here on earth. And to what what hell reveals is what we build our life around. What would you say is your ultimate identity? What would you say? And I have to ask my, have to turn the turn around and ask myself the same question. If, 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 the, if the pillars were knocked out of if, if if the bottom dropped out on you in this place, financially, maybe in your family, maybe your health, it, it could be anything even good, would it totally throw you in despair? Because that is what your heaven is. See, this is what he receives in hell because this is what he's built his life on. Look, even in hell, he's not repentant. It's not like he goes to hell and says, "Oh man, I was wrong." What does he say? He blames God. He's like, "Dude, you didn't give me more. You didn't give me enough information. You got to send stuff to my brothers. I have five brothers. You got to send them info." Even in hell, he's not saying, "Oh God, I'm so sorry." He's talking to Abraham and he's saying, "Can you get Lazarus to fix this? This isn't working for me." See, hell is the fruition of that. It's the coming fruition of who he really is. And yet here's the beauty of this. In the midst of it we think God is just there and it is. It is a that's what hell is being described as here. It is the fruition of us being in the place where everything we wanted to be true in our heaven without God is true and it is actually horrible. And yet God addresses him through Abraham as child See, we typically think that God is loving. Hell is just something He just loves. He just loves to dull out His wrath. That's what, God is just punishing me. He just went, and some of us maybe, even if we, don't, we know grace, we still feel that way. We're like, something is good, going well in our life, and we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Because God doesn't let me just have good things. Is that how God works? Is that His character? Even to the rich man, when he says this, what does he say in verse 25? But Abraham said, child. He still calls him child. It says in other parts of the Bible, in 1 Peter and other places, that God doesn't take pleasure in this. But because of what sin has done, it is punishable. See, hell reveals who we really are, but hell actually redirects us. See, God's wrath actually means he's loving. And, and this, is, this is the place where we kind of like, okay, how, did that, how does that question work? Like if God is really wrathful and loving. When I was at, at Baylor University, <clears throat> I have some friends here that went to school with me there, and they can account for this story. I used to eat in this dining hall. <clears throat> and I remember going there, breakfast, you have a meal plan, you do the whole thing. I remember going and wanting eggs. And I walk in the to get eggs and the trays empty and I'm like oh okay sweet I'm going to get the fresh eggs this is awesome. So I set my tray down and I say hey I'd love some eggs and they say oh yeah sure hold on they go to the back and they come out and the door swings open and they have a bag and I thought bag? That, That doesn't look right. It's a yellow bag oh well they cut the end of the bag and the yellow is the eggs and they literally shake it out of the bag like this and it comes out in like bag form and then like molds to the tray and I was like yeah thanks for the eggs I'll go get more bacon you know like I literally picked up my tray I was like oh gosh you know what I'm probably late like I walked away because it was the most disgusting thing I'd seen you know what when we approach God's character that is actually what we do when we approach God's character and there are parts of the Bible and there are parts of, which is really what the Bible is it's about God and who he is more than us When we approach God and we see things about him that we just think, I can't deal with that. We feel as though we we have a right to pick up the tray and go, but do you do that in your other relationships? Like if you're you're in a real, a good friendship or a a marriage or a, a great relationship with someone. Do you do that in any of your relationships? If you do, then you don't, you're not really having a relationship. And then even further than that is to look at God's character is not like our character. His wrath and his judgment aren't just like an angry child who doesn't get his way. Or when we don't and we hide it differently. Or passive aggressive. God doesn't act that way. God's wrath and judgment is precise. His justice matters because his character matters. And his anger matters because he cares Think about this. When you're angry about something, when you're angry about anything, usually it's because you really care about it. And sometimes for us, it's something that we really care about that's exposed and we get really angry or defensive. Don't talk to me about that part. But God doesn't have to do that because he doesn't have to defend his character. His anger is always towards what? We get really angry when something we love or someone we love is harmed. And God's anger is that. His wrath actually fits beautifully with his love. And we, put, we can, it, when we actually experience wrath and anger in a good way, we're, we're calling to set things right. C.S. Lewis called us out on this. And I know I've, I've called on C.S. Lewis a few times in the last few weeks, but bear with me. I know some of you are like, C.S. Lewis, doesn't every pastor talk about C.S. Lewis? Yes. So let's deal with it. Um, He said this beautifully in an essay called God and Evil, small essays, a lot of essays that he's written that people don't read, and this one is calling us out the fact that we live in a world we think we can be dualistic. Now, that sounds really like high-minded, but it's, it's actually very practical. It's the fact that we think there's good and evil, and they can kind of play on the same field, and we kind of do this pragmatically, like we're thinking, Okay, there's good and then there's evil, but, you know, like the good has to be the same as evil. We can't really, you know, we can't really acknowledge the fact, this is why we don't talk about hell or things like that, because we're like, evil, we we just got to talk about one thing, but we, you know, we kind of are like trying to get rid of hell so good and evil can be like, kind of work together. But he says, all of us believe, all deep in our bones believe in justice. This is why you even get mad when you get cut off when you're driving. Why do you honk your horn? Why do you you get upset when something small happens to you? Because there's good, there's something that's supposed to be set right. That's That's what Jesus is getting at here, is that God's, this parable is talking about how does God set things right? How's injustice dealt with? Because it redirects us to his character. You may have heard of this um, Croatian theologian before. Tim Keller has quoted him a number of times. His name's Miroslav Volf. We actually tried to get him to come to speak at Vanderbilt years ago. He's a Croatian Christian who actually saw these horrible atrocities in the Balkans. Horrible. And, and it's hard for us to imagine that because we see these on the news and those type of things. And in our Western culture, we have hard things in our, in our society. But we're not seeing like, you know, massive... Huge genocides because of certain things. This is like on a, on a massive scale that he was seeing all of this atrocity. People being killed, people, horrible things happening to people. I can't even name in public that he was experiencing even in his own family. And this is what he says about God's judgment and how we should exp- uh, 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 respond in, in justice. He says, a lack of belief in God's judgment and wrath actually causes more retaliation and fighting. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of worship. The only means of prohibiting all recourse to violence by ourselves is to insist that violence is legitimate when it comes from God. It is the fact that he's appealing to the idea that God in his justice is ultimately wise, ultimately thoughtful, and what helps us not create such defensiveness and violence is to know that we actually have a God who cares more than we do about us and the injustice around us. That he addresses sin and he addresses injustice, and he does so with kindness and with care. See, this is the point of social justice. I've said this in here before. I want to say it again because we live in a huge culture of social justice. We have amazing missional communities that we deal out through our church that address major social issues in this city. Why does it matter that the church does that? Is it so that we can be relevant? Or is it that we understand so deeply the character and quality of God towards injustice and sin that it redirects us to what He cares about and what will last. You want to do social justice that really lasts? Believe in a God that's actually going to bring it to its fullest culmination. Not just our toil while we have, gosh, 40, 50, 60 years to do so. But a God who actually is going to bring it to its fruition. And you know how we know that? As a fly, I literally flew up my nose. Pause. Um, that was odd. That doesn't happen often. We've had birds fly in here. I've never had a fly fly in here. So. You know how it happens? It happens by us coming to this table. This table is the representation of everything we've been talking about. If you want to understand what hell reveals and it re- redirects, this is the illustration of that. See, hell redirects us to God's love for this single point, different than any other philosophy, different than any other religion or anything else I've read, studied, or heard. God actually addresses hell itself by going into the heart of it. God Himself in the flesh comes not just to say, hey, I'm coming to condemn people, but to take on condemnation. You actually get to come to a table and taste what Lazarus in the parable was getting at. To taste the real morsels. It's only an appetizer, but the real morsels of what it means to sit at God's table. Not because you're good, not because you've gained great favor with God in your own, but because you find yourself in someone else who went into the heart of darkness. Why would God come and get on the cross and actually say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If He would not experience hell both physically and spiritually, nothing else does that. Hell isn't dealt with just by our physical torment. That's not all it is. It's, it's by spiritual, emotional, it's that God goes into it. Hell redirects us to the good news. Because our God cares about us. Beyond that. Look, this is why even coming to this table, and I'm about to say it in a minute, I say it every week, and you may wonder why. The Bible actually talks that you shouldn't come to this table and drink it if you don't believe this, because what will happen is you're drinking judgment on yourself. Do you know why the Bible says that? Because the judgment has all been laid on Jesus. If you come and drink this and you don't believe and you don't say, I can come to this table and I can eat whatever it is from here, is because you're still trying to earn it yourself. I would plead to you, plead to you, just as this parable does, just as the entire Bible does, just as the life of Christ does, come to Jesus. Come to faith in him explore it, even if you're here and you're kind of like, I don't know, ask the questions, talk to me, let's talk. Hell is real. There is an eternal gulf that is punishable, and it is not a thing to scare tactic. It's actually to say say that God has plunged His own Son into that and come back out, resurrected from it, in order that we don't ever have to experience it. Because He cares enough to put himself through it so that you can taste it and see it and know it's true. Don't come take this if you don't believe that. Sit, remain, fold your hands, receive prayer, come forward, receive prayer, fold your hands, get in line, talk to me. But let Jesus take that judgment, not you, not me. I can't do it. God, I have to talk about this stuff. There's no way I can do that. So as we stand now, let's stand together.